Today's scripture is from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Send your word, O Lord, like the rain, falling down upon the earth. Send your word, O Lord, like the rain, falling down upon the earth. Amen. You may be seated. Apologies earlier, I did not have my microphone on. That is completely on me, not on Stephen. Another one that's on me, Stephen, is I've added some slides and changed the order of some of them. So we may just stick with that, uh, that uh, graphic up there for today. Uh, thank you, Liz, who's not in the room anymore, is she? Fantastic Children's Minute. I also have something today to remind me of my grandfather. You might have noticed this polyester beauty that I was wearing. This came out of my grandfather's closet. Yep, yep, don't be jealous. We have a tradition in my family when one of the patriarchs dies, we raid their closet and wear their ties to the funeral, and I have hung on to them. And whenever I do go, I do tend to look for the ones that should have been on sofa upholstery from a, from a couch that is 50 years old or older. You know what I mean, that kind. So. The scripture today, I absolutely love as an image of the saints gathered around the throne and worshiping. And as I think about a day like today, and let's just name it, today's a tough day, right? There are, there are people on here who a year ago were with us on this altar, pictures, and, and some, of, some of these wounds are still pretty fresh, and it's a hard day, but it's an important day because when we stop intentionally to think about the ways that those who loved us most showed us how to love the way Jesus loves the most, 
I think we can learn a lot from that. And so today I'm going to be telling you all a lot of stories about my grandmother and granddaddy. And I want to kind of go back and forth between that and the scripture. And the thing with the scripture today that just really leapt off the page to me as I was reading it is the absurdity of the question when the elder looks at John, we're speaking of John of Patmos, right, and says, who are these people? And John goes, you're the one that works here. I, I have no idea who these people are, right? You, sir, are the one who knows. And he, he says a few things, and I think it's worth us noting who they are because then we can draw, I think, a little bit about who we should be. First he says, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. Friends, these people are the resistance. These are the ones who found ways to love their neighbor as Christ told us to love our neighbor, even perhaps when it was illegal or unpopular. These are the ones who found ways to not be all of the seeds that were scattered along the road or among the rocks or among the thorns. They found ways to be fruitful. They found ways to turn the other cheek to go the extra mile, to love their neighbor as themselves, even when it might not have been safe or popular. My grandmother and granddaddy got married, I don't know, probably in the 30s or 40s. They were born in the late teens or early 20s. And my granddaddy was the kind of guy that, um, well, he always rooted for the underdog. He was an Auburn fan and, and always had a special place in his heart for the underdog and for those that were, that were serving in ways that were meaningful. Grandmother and granddaddy did not have a high theology, if that makes sense. They had a very practical theology. Seldom would we get out, you know, and talk about scripture or things like that, but very often we would find someone who needed something and go take care of it, if that makes sense, right? Very seldom are we talking about Scripture, although they were at church every Sunday. Good Methodists, right? But the minute someone needed something, we were going and we were taking care of that. As I read the Scripture and I, I say that these are the resistance, these people, the first thing that they are is they're the ones who have resisted whatever the empire has put on them is because if you read Revelation, one of the ways that I think we should read it, and one day we're going to do a deep dive on it here because I absolutely love it. Revelation is a commentary on Rome. It uses the language of Babylon, right? Because that's a way that you can talk about your enemies without being thrown in jail. You understand what I'm saying? John is here speaking about the empire of Rome. If you want to take a deep dive into the book of Revelation, let me encourage you to find Dr. Robert Mulholland's uh, course. His entire 600-level seminary course is online for free. It used to be online in video so that you could see the uh, projector slides. I'm not sure if it still is, but I do know that it's still in podcast form. It was a 600-level class, and uh, as fate would have it, it was a New Testament class, so NT and the number that happened to be available was 666. So it's course number NT666. You can find it online. I very much encourage you to do so if you really want to nerd out on it. It's 
roughly 40 hours of seminary level lecture on the book of Revelation. And one of the things that he says over and over in that book is that Revelation is a book about how to be citizens of New Jerusalem even while we currently reside in fallen Babylon. And that's relevant because it makes Revelation not just a book with weird metaphors and images and stories and things that might happen a million years from now, and it makes it something about a group of people who were trying their best to be faithful in the face of persecution. And guess what? We are a room full of people who ought to be trying to be faithful to the words of Jesus even in the face of persecution, if that be the case. One of my favorite stories that he tells in in Dr. Mulholland tells as he speaks about Revelation is, imagine if I were to show an image on the screen here of a red elephant and a blue donkey and they were fighting. You all would recognize that, that that's political commentary, right? We're talking about something that's happening in Congress or votes or something like that. But imagine 2,000 years from now, someone unearthed, you know, that image and thought, well, goodness gracious, there were, there were red elephants and blue donkeys fighting, and there's no telling what that actually means, right? When you think about the resistance maybe in some terms that are a little closer to home. Think about the Germans who found ways to love their Jewish neighbors, even though it was illegal and unpatriotic. Think about the young people who took part in the sit-ins and were named troublemakers and disturbers of the peace. Think about those today who leave cases of bottled water at the border. We are called to love our neighbors. We are called to care for the alien, the orphan, the widow. Sometimes that conflicts with national interests or with popular interests or things such as that. The resistance, those who find ways to live as New Jerusalem, even when we currently reside in fallen Babylon, have found ways to continue to be saints. The next one is that they are the rabble. And I chose the word rabble because I already had resistance and the third bullet is an R2 and I think, man, I'm never going to be a great preacher and miss opportunities to have three bullets that start with R, right? (laughs) Really, the point though is that it is a great multitude. See what it says here, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe and peoples and language. In other words, this is basically all the Greek first century words at John's disposal to describe diversity. Everyone, in other words, draw whatever line you want to draw and the people that are on the other side of it who are not in, they're there. Draw whatever box or walls you want to create for those who here belong and those who don't belong, they're in. The point is that it was an exceedingly diverse multitude, and I should say is an exceedingly diverse multitude. Back to my grandmother and granddaddy. They grew up in kind of different circles. Uh, My granddaddy's family, I think, had a little bit. grandmother's family grew up sharecroppers and neither of their families wanted them to marry each other his family because she was poor her family because he was a troublemaker probably Um, sometimes we come together like that don't we Mm -hmm. 
Grandmother was the one, and these are my dad's parents that I'm talking about. Grandmother was the one that um, I was most afraid of to get in trouble with, of all my grandparents. She, as you can imagine, growing up a child of sharecroppers, she knew some things. Uh, but she's also the one that had some of the most creative fun moments. She taught us that you can catch a June bug, tie a thread around one of its legs. Anyone ever done this before? Okay. And if you do that, and then you, if you do it without killing it or maiming it too badly, which often happens, if you do that well, though, it'll just fly in a circle. And you can just hang on to the string, and it'll just fly in a circle all day. It's a true thing. Grandma also taught me how to uh, pick up a cow patty on the dry side and throw it so that it landed on the wet side. And that's important if you have brothers or cousins that are roughly the same age and we happen to be in the pasture that day. <laughs> Granddaddy taught me things like patience and particularly patience with regard to fishing. My granddaddy had a catfish pond and Catfishing is the most boring of all kinds of fishing for a seven, eight, nine-year-old kid. It's not like, you know, actively casting, reeling in. It's certainly not like being on a boat where you're seeing lots of things. Catfishing, the way my granddaddy did it, was cast and then sit for a long time. And that's torture, but it taught me patience. So we have a diverse multitude. And the last, and this is the most obvious one, is that we're the redeemed. So it says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. My personal favorite story of redemption in real life happening is of my grandmother and granddaddy. As I've kind of alluded, the stories were, although I never saw this personally, but the stories were that when Granddaddy was younger, he drank too much and got into some trouble, and countless times, Grandmother had to take care of him, right? Maybe go pick him up, bring him home, things like that. Again, I did not see that when I was growing up. He had gotten beyond that by then. When I was around, his drug of choice was Copenhagen, uh, which he gave to every one of my cousins and myself when we were five years old as a way to make sure that we never dipped Copenhagen. And it worked. Later in life, grandmother got dementia and got it pretty badly. And as it goes, and some of y'all have experienced this before, she ended up in the nursing home. And... Granddaddy went to the nursing home every morning and stayed for breakfast, lunch, and dinner until bedtime and made sure that she got taken care of and fed and put to bed well and then went home every night. And that happened for years, y'all. It happened for a long time. And it felt redemptive in a way that, you know how we talk about how Jesus takes our graves and turns them into gardens, and Jesus takes our brokenness and heals them and turns them into beautiful things. Y'all, this was a beautiful thing that I got to watch and I got to witness in real time. And I happened to be, in the moment, I happened to be doing clinical pastoral education, which all pastors at the time had to do, and it is a semester of working at the hospital and then kind of debriefing it, right? 
And so the way it worked was you would be on call, you would go spend one day in the hospital, and then you would be on call two or three nights a week, and you'd have to go. And you, you get put in just some of the worst situations because no one ever wants to be at the hospital, you know what I mean? And so if someone's there, it's not a good thing usually. And, and so you have to put yourself in really stressful situations, and then you would write a verbatim about a stressful situation that you had. You would present it to your class, which was only four or five classmates and two professors, who were both psychologists, all of us sitting in a circle, you prevent this, you present this verbatim, and then you have to sit quietly for an hour while the room psychoanalyzes you. It was a hard thing, very transformative thing in my life, though. And it was during that time when I was telling them about my granddaddy, and I was telling them how proud I was of him, right? How thankful I was to get to see him selflessly loving grandmother the way that he did. She could not return any of that. And I told them, I'm going to write a letter to him, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give to him. And one of my professors, who was a salty old guy, said, that is the dumbest idea I have ever heard. And he said, he's still alive, right? I was like, yeah. He said, then write your letter, and then go down there and tell it to his face. I can't hardly even tell that story without tearing up anymore. It was one of the single most transformative moments of my life that I got to see someone who had, who had made some mistakes in life turn that into something beautiful. And did it cost him something? Absolutely. We, I, was, I was in my 20s, so I was old enough that I probably should have known, but I don't think I was old enough to really understand how painful it was for him to go home every night. Right? go home and spend the night by himself every night and see his wife who barely knows him anymore. You know what I mean? Some of y'all have been through that. And some of y'all have been through that with your parents before. We resist the drift to become complacent and we find ways to love. We are a diverse multitude, a rabble, if you will, of people from all over, from everywhere that look differently and speak differently, all the things. And y'all, we are redeemed. And more so than the story that I just told about my granddaddy, we are, we are made clean before our God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And we're going to celebrate that today with communion. And so I want to invite you all to pray with me in preparation for that. Gracious God, thank you for this moment, for this opportunity. For We're going to get to remember what you did for us. Today's the day that we're going to remember what a lot of people have done for us, and, and we're going to cap it off by remembering what Christ did for us. And then we're going to go home and think about the ways that we can also show those around us what extravagant, selfless love looks like today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.